This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Grow Your Business and Grow Your Wealth podcast with Gary Helt. Gary is an expert in helping business owners put together a plan that will provide a better future for their businesses, themselves, and their families. On the podcast, Gary interviews other professionals who share his vision, and together they share secrets and strategies any business owner can use to build a better financial foundation for your business and your life. Welcome back to the podcast. Today our guest is Jonathan Sparks with Sparks Law Practice. Uh, welcome, Jonathan. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. So what, what made you pursue a career as an attorney? That's kind of a long story. Um, when I started out, I was, uh, I was actually a touring musician, of all things, and uh, you know, realized that a lot of the other musicians kind of in the industry, this is when it was sort of crumbling or just starting to crumble. So we had very, very different, unique, you know, difficult, uh, complicated contracts that were just running around flying everywhere. And a lot of the indie labels um, you know, would have me review their contracts because I started to be kind of a specialist in it, uh, you know, just, just out of a stroke of luck. And I found that I really had a knack for it. So I was advising these new artists and I was advising the independent labels and I was reading up on it. And I just, you know, I was a philosophy major before. So I was deep into analytics and things like that. And um, then I just decided to, to go to law school because, uh, you know, wanted to make a difference and, and help people a lot. And uh, that led me towards, you know, helping entrepreneurs and business owners primarily. And that's pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of talking about, uh, you know, two different uh, extremes there going from mus- music to, to, to law. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So kind of tell, tell us your path that you took to, to get to where you're, you know, the, the founder of your firm. Um, what, what was, your, what was your, your path after law school to get here? Um, so in law school, I found that I really had a passion for entrepreneurs and, and helping out business owners. And I noticed that there was a, a severe lack of, of good legal advice, you know, for, for business owners out there, especially small and mid-sized businesses. Uh, when I went into um, uh, practice, you know, I, I started at, at, at King and Spalding, which was a, a mega firm that represented, you know, mainly Fortune 500 companies. I don't think they would even look at you unless you had a, a starting retainer of, you know, six figures at least for the first, you know, month or so, you know, half month or whatever it was. Um, so, you know, the the shareholders of those mega corporations weren't exactly, you know five people that you could kind of sit down with, with some coffee and go over their, you know, risks and, and analyses like that. It was hundreds and thousands of people, right? So, you know, the issue at that job was, um, you know, obviously uh, we just couldn't communicate with the clients. There wasn't a direct client that I could really help out directly. It was all through, you know, SEC filings and, you know, what was confidential and what was not. Um, but I still had that passion, right, for, for business owners. So, um, you know, when I found out one of my friends, 
from earlier that lived in New York. He got this contract handed to him uh, from a, a company he wanted to invest in. And it was, um, it was a legal Zoom created contract and I'll never forget it, but it was uh, written for the wrong side. <laughs> so this, this company that he was gonna invest in sent him a secured property agreement and I don't need to get into all of the details and unless you're interested, but basically it was the most favorable you could possibly imagine for my client. And it was written by the other side, so to speak. And the other side is the one that paid for it. So it was ridiculously one-sided, literally uh, from a $10,000 investment, he could make a private sale of all of the owner's assets. So their house, their car, their inheritance, their savings, and he could be the only buyer at this private sale if they were in default. And guess what? They were in default the second they sent the contract over because I found another filing that they'd made. So I just recognized that these business owners that I care so much about were just, you know, dying <laughs> and they had no idea. So um, I decided to open up my shop uh, in 2013 and, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> That's great. So, um, you know, you say you work with entrepreneurs. What are, you know, the things that you're helping them with? Um, are you helping with startups? Are you helping with contract negotiations? What, what is it that you're doing for them? We like to say that we help business owners from the cradle to the IPO. So the second that they, you know, from the second they begin or they've just got some, you know, some ideas, some, some you know, interest to the second that they're, you know, reporting things to securities and, you know, doing a, 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 a public offering, right? Um, so everything in between, right? So, um, you know, we, we focus a lot on contracts. So, you know, if you're a service company, for example, you probably should have a service contract so that, you know, it's very clear it's in writing the scope of the work that you're doing and the scope of the work that you're not doing, you know? Right. Uh, the price for that, you know, what happens with payments and whatnot, um, you know, contracts with vendors. Uh, of course, we do trademarks, copyrights, all of the intellectual property stuff. We do partnership agreements. We do, you know, complex mergers and acquisitions. Uh, we do, you know, total startups, right? So uh, what we like to do is, is, is have an approach that, that uh, is, is just conscious of the, the risks of things, you know, so if you were to have a, a perfect set of, you know, legal contracts and documentation when you first start, it might be a 40 or $50,000 legal bill. And typically entrepreneurs that are just starting, you know, unless they're funded from somebody, they don't typically have that kind of a legal bill. Right. And that's fine. So we just explain the risks to them and kind of get them the biggest bang for their buck, you know? So you talked about, uh, you know, intellectual property and, and um, copyrights and trademarks and stuff. Can you, you know, kind of explain some of the differences of that and why it's important for, you know, these business owners to, to look at possibly doing something along those lines? Sure, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different types of intellectual property and I'll kind of list them out if that's helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, you have patents, of course, uh, patents protect ideas, right? So it's in inventions. Patents don't last nearly as long as the other types of intellectual property. Um, you know, typically around 20 years, uh, you, you can keep a patent, right? But originally somebody had a patent for a car, you know, and then that patent kind of ran out and then everybody can build a car and without mm -hmm. infringing on the patent. Uh, then you have 
trademarks, which is my favorite because that's um, it. It doesn't. It's more cost effective. It doesn't take so much time uh, to get the trademark awarded. A patent might take you know ten years to get it awarded, but a trademark will typically take you know six months, like soup to nuts, right? So a trademark protects your brand, okay, and the source of the goods or services. So you know what type of a T-shirt is it? It's a Nike T-shirt. You know what type of life coaching is it? You know it's a uh, uh, David Nagel life coaching or, or whoever it is, right? Um, so it's indicative of the source of the goods and the goodwill associated with it. Um, if you don't have a trademark, then you basically can't sell the rights to your, to use your brand name to somebody else. So that's an important one that people miss often. Uh, we can get more into that later. Copyrights are just the right. It's just like it sounds. It's the right to make an exact copy since the right to make a copy and that's more artwork related so you know music recordings or you know uh, music you know written down or something uh, artwork uh, poetry books you know blog articles magazine articles pictures you know actual copies right if, if you have a board game the copyright to the board be the characters in the board game you know the layout that kind of deal uh, but you're unlikely to get a patent for a board game because people had the idea to make to invent board games you know hundreds of right. years ago right so um so that's those are the big three patents trademarks and copyrights there are others though uh, trade secrets is a big one so if you've ever seen an nda a non-disclosure agreement that typically keeps uh, information confidential, especially what are called trade secrets. So I've built my company with a great deal of trade secrets. So I have ways to be very efficient with my company, um, you know, reduce costs. I know certain vendors are going to give me, you know, these rates because I've, you know, figured out how to work with them best and I have good deals with them and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we have systems and processes that I've created for my firm and, and the help of my team has created for our firm that makes us efficient that I don't want competitors to know about, okay? So those are called trade secrets and I can bind somebody to a non-disclosure agreement and prevent them from taking my trade secrets and sort of making money off of it. So, you know, again, we'll use say McDonald's for instance, the M, you know, yeah. what, what, what category does that fall under? Yeah, so the M for McDonald's is a logo trademark. Okay. And I'm glad you brought that up because there are different types of trademarks. Okay. So there's logo image trademarks. Okay. Then there's the actual brand name. And then there's taglines. And then there, there might be sub products. Okay. So let me give you examples of all of these. The logo, an easy example for me is the Nike swoosh. Mm hmm. Okay, so that's if you just see the swoosh on your sleeve, you know, that's that's a, a protected federally registered trademark. And in theory, Nike could if they, you know, got the wild idea, they could sell somebody the rights to just use the swoosh. Mm -hmm. Okay, or if they ever stopped using the swoosh, somebody else could take it over. Okay, okay. then separately, you have the brand name. So Nike, N-I-K-E. Okay, so that protects against anything that sounds the same. People will say a lot, well, what if I spell it differently? You know, what if I spell it N-I-G-H-K-E-E? -E? That's right. not gonna help you, you know? Good right. creative idea, 
but that's not going to help you. It's, it's going to create confusion in the marketplace as to the source of the goods. So if I saw a t-shirt that said Nike <laughs> spelled out that way, I would probably think, huh, you know, is this a Nike shirt? Because it right. sounds like a Nike shirt. Right. You have the tagline, which is a whole other thing. So just do it is the Nike tagline. And then you have sub products. So they, Nike has, you know, the Air Jordan, right? That's a trademark for a type of product they sell. Or if you want to think about it differently, uh, General Motors has the Chevrolet trademark and they have the Malibu trademark and, and on and on. These are sub products, okay? Um, it's also a common uh, misconception that the business's name has to be the trademark name too. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. It can actually be a totally different name. You have General Motors Corporation, which owns the trademark to Chevrolet, owns the trademark to Corvette, my favorite car, you know, all of that. <laughs> right. Now, are these, these trademarks that we're, that, that we're talking about, are these, how long are they good for? That's a great question. So uh, they're pretty much good for in, in perpetuity. There's not really a limit. You do have to do a lot of what we call maintenance filings okay. to continually prove to the uh, USPTO and the United States Patent and Trademark Office that you're continually using the trademarks in commerce and sort of keeping your flag down on it. Otherwise, competitors can file what's called a cancellation and they can actually say, you know, you're not using it and, you know, they sort of have a, 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 a trial over who owns it and who's using it, you know, more and if they're infringing or not and, and all of that rigmarole. Yeah, so, you know, so trademark, you're saying that as long as you do the maintenance on it, you know, that kind of goes forever. The patent, yeah. the patent you said, you know, can last, you know, like 20 years or so. What about copyrights? Do those have an expiration on them? So it's an interesting story. So copyrights technically have a, a date at which it becomes public domain property, okay? But we have Disney, <laughs> the early 1900s. I don't know, it's like the 20s or 30s. Right. It's pretty early. Maybe it was the 40s. I don't know. It, it, it was a long time ago. Um, so Disney continually, okay. So originally when we made copyright law, we said life, plus 30 years, okay? So the life of the person who created the copyright plus 30 years. So if the guy lives, you know, 50 years after he filed the copyright and made the work, then it's, you know, 50 plus 30. So you've got it for 80 years. But yeah. Disney <laughs> continually filing these, uh, these things and they lobby, they lobby like mad with Congress. And every 10 years, they bump it out another 10 years. So this has happened like 10 times or yeah, not 10 times, I'm exaggerating, but it's happened like four or five times, right? So now I think it's life plus 70. And I'm sure that when we come on the, the 70 year mark of when Walt Disney passes away, they're gonna get it life plus 80. So right. <laughs> no, it's not in perpetuity, but you know, if Disney Corporation continues to be awesome, then I'm pretty sure it'll end up being in perpetuity. I do want to say this though about trademarks kind of hopping back on that shit. People think that these days if you own the URL, if you own the website address, uh, that means you own the trademark and that is a complete misnomer. That's not true. That is that is false. It, it would make sense and I get where they're coming from. That's kind of what I would think had I not gone to law school. 
but fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the trademark law existed before we had websites <laughs> and URLs. So, you know, for all intents and purposes now, if we, we would think that the owner of a, a, a URL, you know, a .com with that name is probably the owner of the trademark, but that's, that's not true. And it's a totally separate thing. It's not even a government office that regulates who owns what websites, okay? So um, famously, somebody did a cyber squatting, right? Where they bought target.com. Right. They bought it in like 1997 or something. And then Target said, hey, uh, you know, this is our trademark. We've had this for, you know, 30, 40 years. Um, we'll buy the website URL from you for, you know, maybe 500 bucks. You know, the going rate was like $5 back then. Right. And he's like, oh, no, you're going to pay me 10 million. <laughs> And they're like, the hell we are. <laughs> so they brought it all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And they actually filed in favor of Target because they owned the mark. And someone was, you know, seditiously trying to cyber squad and, and use someone else's mark and sort of force them to pay an egregious amount of money. Um, that said, it actually is really hard to get somebody to give you a URL even if you own the trademark. So for example, I own the trademark to Sparks Law. I am the owner of that trademark. There is somebody who has a sparkslaw.com address that I can't get because he had it uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. He, he bought it a long time ago. Nice guy with his last name Sparks. So he's gotta be great, right? Yeah. <laughs> now. Lawyer out in Texas and I need to just go visit him and, you right. know. <laughs> so but, if, if you know, uh, you know, my company names small business advisors. I mean that, you know, if what's the likelihood that I could get that trademarked? Um, and, I, you know, I know way back when, when I first started out, you know, I got some letters from some people out of state that said, hey, I, I, I own that name and you have to cease and desist and so forth. So, you know, so lots of times, you know, I, you know, we'll have people that get incorporated in the state of Maryland and they get these letters from other places. How does that work? I mean, you know, from the standpoint of, hey, I'm registered in Maryland and, you know, that name was available. How does, yeah. that, how does that all work? So that's another great question. Um, so trademark law is such that it can't, they will not give you, let me be more specific, the, the USPTO will not award a federal registered trademark to something that is at all generic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it's descriptive of the services provided or the product provided, they will refuse to award you a federal trademark. Okay. So what does that mean in practice, right? So if you have Bob's laundromat, they might give it to him for Bob, but they're going to exclude the word laundromat. Why? Because laundromat is descriptive of what it is. Okay. So if they did not exclude the word laundromat from his trademark, right, where he says, you know, I don't claim any ownership rights to use the word laundromat for a laundromat, right? Because if they did give him that, then he could go all across the United States and US territories like Puerto Rico and everything else and prevent anybody from using laundromat for a laundromat. Okay. <laughs> Similarly, 
uh, with yours, small business advisors, that's quite descriptive of what you're doing, right? Because you're giving advice to small businesses. And thank you, by the way, because us small business owners, we need that advice. <laughs> but if you, if you got a trademark awarded, that would mean that you could go across, just like Bob, you could go across the United States and U.S. territories and anybody that used small business in their name for a, you know, a CPA firm, right. you could shut them down, right? You could make them you know, destroy their marketing materials, come up with a different brand name or if they're using advisors. So anybody in the whole professional services industries, lawyers, uh, CPAs, you know, financial planners, if they couldn't use the word advise, you know, so, um, so the USPTO does not allow trademarks to be registered that are too descriptive. Okay. What you need to get it registered is a unique identifier for that trademark, okay? So uh, there's two ways to get a unique trademark that I think are the easiest, uh, just to really boil this down. One is to come up with an entirely new word that like nobody's ever heard of. So Nike. You know, right. before it was a company, you know, what does Nike mean? I right. don't know. Sounds like right. a toddler made it up, right? Another is to use a very common word or a word that people know that's not normally associated with those goods or services. So Apple, right? Mm -hmm. Apple is a common word. Obviously, they would never give Apple as a trademark to a grocer. Right. But they will give it, however, to a computer service company because, you know, computers don't have anything to do with fruit. <laughs> right. Um, okay. So those are the two best ways to get trademarks. Um, yeah. Okay. I think that answers the question. But, yeah. So if I'm, you know, again, I'm registered in Maryland. If I have somebody that lives in your state of Georgia and, you know, they have the same company name as Small Business Advisors and they send me a letter that says, hey, I've had this name, I've been using this name all this time, you gotta stop. Yeah. What kind of, uh, you know, legal backing does that letter have? Slim to nil. I mean, you know, ba ba basically they're full of it. So, right. you know, I would tell them, and we get those kind of letters, you know, for, for our clients and we just tell them, you know, very nicely and formally, go pound sand, right. <laughs> you know, to your heart's content. Right. Um, because there's really no, uh, there's no laws on the books that prevent you from using, um, you know, terms like that, that are descriptive of the services you do. Otherwise, nobody could, could use the term laundromat. Nobody could use the term shoe. Nobody could use the term counsel or advisor, you know, anything like that. Small businesses is a description of, you know, millions and millions of, of certain, you know, businesses, right? So, yeah, um, they, they really are just, they're, they're what we call nasty grams and they're there to scare you. Right. And, you know, it's a tactic. It might make you call up, you know, someone like me and, you know, pay for a, an hour or two analysis. But, you know, the gist of it is you don't need to worry and they can waste all the money that they want to try to shut you down because they're not going to win. <laughs> so, so if, you know, again, small business advisors, technically, there could be one in every state and nobody infringes on each other's right to use the word. Well, it's not even limited to one. So you could have, you could have a hundred, you know, in one city with the same exact name, there's no limit on business names. Okay. So that I should make this distinction. Your business name is not equal to your trademark 
right? And your trademark is not equal to the URL that you have, okay? So those are three things that are often confused as, as if they're one, but they're actually total. So technically I could open up Nike Corporation in Georgia right now, you know? I sure as heck couldn't do any sales of, you know, clothing using that brand, but I could use it for legal services and that's fine. You know, I could say, this is Nike Corporation doing business as Sparks Law, you know, and that could be on all of my contracts. I'm not using it as a trademark and it happens to be my business's name. So there's not a limit. The exact name of a business just for for paperwork and, and search purposes they will, you know, kick it out if it's exactly the same. So if you register in Georgia for Sparks Law LLC, they're going to say, no, you can't do that. You got to tack on like Sparks Law Group or Sparks Law, you know, Council or something like that, because otherwise people are going to, they're not going to know which Sparks Law they need to sue if God forbid they need to sue me. (laughs) So in, in talking about all this, this goes back to so much to, people need to do planning. And before they decide, hey, I'm opening up my business, boom, I'm here. They really need to talk to a professional like you to be able to think this all the way down and through. Um, And, you know, because I always tell people, you know, they they come to me after their next door neighbor who had a business 20 years ago. So I'm all here, this is how you set things up. And then they come into me and they, don't have any of the paperwork that they need and, and, and so forth. And they want me to, to advise them and do taxes for them. Yeah, uh, I think it's uh, it, the way I see it, you're, you're just setting yourself up to fail. So mm-hmm. if you don't, let's say that you have a great brand name, okay, that you just love and, and you know, but you haven't done your due diligence, you haven't hired a lawyer to, you know, conduct an analysis as to whether or not that brand name is available or if it's infringing on somebody else, you know, someone who already has a registered trademark with it, right? right? So if you don't do that, then there's two things that could happen, okay? Either you're going to fail anyway, so it just doesn't matter and you don't make any money and nobody sees you and you, you launch and everything and you just fail and you shut it down and like you go back to your nine to five job or uh, you are successful and it, you know, raises a red flag to the guy that you're infringing on. And then they, you know, get their lawyers to come after you. And then they get what's called statutory damages for your trademark infringement, which is huge. They'll say, give me all of the profits that you've made in the last two years, times two or even times three, because we need to penalize you for doing this and right. doing it in the future. And then we're also going to make you burn, you know, all of your marketing materials and just shut it down, you right. know, and, and they're probably going to win. If you didn't do an analysis on the front end, you know, do that little bit of, you know, a thousand dollars worth of work at the front end, you could, you could lose your entire company. So either you fail or you fail. Right. <laughs> right. It's up to you, but you know, it's uh, people, I understand that, that entrepreneurs are very risk tolerant. I'm an entrepreneur myself. And I'd say for a lawyer, I'm very risk tolerant, but that's not even a risk. That's just planning to, to lose, you know, right, right. So that's not a risk that you can, you know, logically take. Right. So 
yeah, we need to get uh, good advice. I, I've noticed that in our industry of, you know, professional advisors that are, you know, trained in their field and their trade and, and, and teaching business owners, I've noticed that some of these professional advisors will prioritize being liked by their clients over giving them the good, hard, solid truth advice that they really need, you right. know? And that's a damn shame, you know? Um, it really is because, you know, yeah, they might love you because, you know, there's no service that they need to pay for or something or that you're telling them they need to pay for. But on the back end, their business could just entirely shut down. And whose fault is it really? Right. You know, I think part of it is just bad advice and a refusal to tell them what they really need to know. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% there and, and, and see that happen quite often. Yeah. Um, what are some of the challenges that you're facing now? I mean, obviously, we're, we're going through COVID um, and, you know, lo looks like we have the vaccine and going to be able to start distributing it. But, you know, what, you know, what challenges are you running into um, with all of this? For my firm or for our clients or both for, or for, for your phone? Um, I'd say that people are, there's just a great deal of uncertainty and, you know, that, that makes people, you know, slower to move on deals. And, um, and a, a, a big problem in my industry is that, you know, a lot of the courts have shut down right. and we don't do, we don't do a ton of work in the courts. Most of our cases, you know, will get settled out because the business owners don't want to, you know, waste two years of their lives and, you know, drop you know, $200,000 on a lawsuit that they can just, you know, eat the cost and settle it at some point, you know, sooner. But, you know, the ones that, that do really have a very legitimate claim and it needs to be fought because the other side is, you know, just digging their heels in and being totally unreasonable and you need a judge to just sort of slap them down, you know, right? it, it happens. So yeah. in that scenario, largely the, the courts have just shut down. You know, they're not, they do some online hearings for, you know, absolute necessities, you know, um, that, you know, if children are involved, for example, in the family courts, you know, they'll do those virtually, but, you know, most of the, the commercial uh, lawsuits, um, which is the vast majority of all lawsuits that people don't know, but it's, it's 65% of all lawsuits are, are breach of contract cases, <laughs> right? It's not family law. It's not, you know, personal injury, it's breach of contract. So, um, you know, that's, that's our bread and butter. And, and a lot of those uh, cases are just on hold and, and we don't know how long they're going to be on hold. And that creates even more uncertainty for the business owner. Right. So, I mean, obviously you have a wealth of knowledge, uh, you know, with, with working with small businesses and, and intellectual property and things. If our listeners uh, are thinking about opening a business and things like that, how can they get in touch with you to kind of talk to see where, what direction they need to go, what they need to do? Yeah, uh, they can just give us a, a, a call. Our number is 470-268-5234. Uh, my email address is jsparks at sparkslawpractice.com. Uh, again, I didn't get that sparkslaw.com URL, right? right. <laughs> um, they're, more than, uh, they're more than welcome to, to call or, or email us. Um, we've got a great team 
Um, it might not be me that's talking to them, but uh, it, it'll likely be if you hit my email up. Um, but uh, I, I did want to say that a lot of the work we do, uh, especially the stuff we're talking about here, we are able to do for anybody in the United States or U.S. territory. So, you know, if it's federal law, if it has to do with trademarks or copyrights or other intellectual property, we can help with that. Uh, and we can also help with transactions, you know, contracts for people, employment stuff, you know, whatnot, uh, wherever they are, uh, as long as it's not something that's going to court. I can't do real estate closings. I can't do, um, uh, you know, court filings without calling up one of my alumni from George Washington and, you know, doing the case with them. But everything else, you know, customer contracts, intellectual property, we, we're more than happy to help out with. Great. So uh, what would you like to share with the listeners that I haven't asked you? I know there's a ton that you can share, but what, and anything, you know, specifically that, uh, you know, that we kind of talked about that I haven't hit on? Um, I just wanted to say that I, I've had, um, well, okay. So it, as a society, we used to have, you know, uh, in, information didn't used to, to, to go across, you know, state lines and even uh, uh, country lines like it does now. So we're, we're in the, the digital information age, right? Uh, but it used to be that you would have, you know, a, a town or a village, you know, that, that might have 10 or 20,000 people and you might have one or two lawyers in that place. And, and those lawyers were expected to file for, you know, slip and fall personal injury cases for divorce. They'd file for trust and estate stuff. And they do, of course, all your business things. And that's fine. But nowadays we have the ability and I'd say the necessity to specialize. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we specialize in all things business law, like we said, cradle to IPO. Uh, mm -hmm. What we don't do is family law cases. You know, I don't, I don't know anything at all about, you know, filing for divorce. I don't know anything at all about personal injury cases. If you get in a traffic accident, I'm not one of those. I don't know that world, you know, um, I'm, I know just as much as my clients do. Um, but, you know, we do business law and I'd say if you own a business and you want great business advice, go to a specialist, you know, maybe it's somebody that, you know, but I would be, you know, the idea of a family attorney that, you know, this is the family attorney that we always use right. is, is outdated. That's no longer really uh, a thing that's going to give you the help you need. I advise a lot of these family attorneys because they'll, they'll call me because I have the white sheet on all of the changes and non-compete laws and customer right. contracts and IP. And, you know, otherwise they're spending hours and hours, which they bill you for, for them to learn. So right. it's a lot better to just give us a holler. And we know the answer probably on the top of our heads. We, we, we have so much experience in this. I'm, I'm kind of sad to say nothing surprises us anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's just like, yep, that's this whole thing. And, you know, like, go look at this case and this is how it works. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Um, I'm sure that our listeners learned a lot from you. I certainly did. Um, really appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And, you know, let's get through this pandemic. It'll be, we'll be done soon, I think. Yeah. Definitely. So today our guest was uh, Jonathan Sparks with Sparks Law Practice. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. 
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.